Good morning, everybody. We've got a lot to be excited about this morning. Gonzaga won. Amen? Yeah? And uh, there's lots of sunshine, and we've got Jesus. A few things. Full of life today. All right. Awesome. I've got a few things to let you know about before we just dive into this morning's sermon. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on from uh, potential new buildings and all that kind of fun, awesome stuff. Uh, if your guests want to start off by saying we're super glad that you've joined us this morning, at the back door there are a bunch of these programs that you are more than welcome to help yourself to. It's got all the, the activities going on. There's more in there than I can share in the next few minutes, but a couple things to draw your attention to. Tonight, after a uh, four-week kind of hiatus, Fusion, our student ministry, is going to be kicking back into gear. And so for all of you students in the room, Middle school, high school students, you are uh, invited to be a part of that. That's going to be happening tonight at 5.30. Uh, there should be, uh, there, there is actually some information in your program, just letting you know all the, the, what, what's happening. But you are invited to be a part of that. Uh, I don't know if you know this, adults, but there are over 2,500 students in Ferndale between the middle schools and the high schools. 2,500. That's 2,500 in a town of just over 10,000 people. There's a lot of work for us to do, and so one of the reasons that we have this student ministry is uh, just to be all about loving and caring for students, not only here in our church, but in our community, and so to do that, it takes a, a whole church to do that well, and so I encourage you, if, if uh, you're not a part of it in some way, to be praying for our student ministry. Uh, there's a lot of ways to help out, from preparing meals to being a, a, a volunteer on Sunday nights to just other things that are, are happening. So if you feel like maybe this is something that God wants you to be involved in, grab a program, connection card, just put your name and info on there and say, I'd be interested in hearing, uh, hearing some more about um, Fusion, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. But students, invite your friends and all that to tonight. It's going to be a really good time. Also, in two weeks, we are having, uh, it's Easter and so uh, one of the things that we really believe as a church is that we are just not here to be an island to ourselves in this little corner where we just show up on Sundays and do our thing and then leave. We really believe that God has got us here to be a blessing to our community and to be a blessing, as you're going to hear in a sec, even way beyond just our community here. But one of the things that we love to do to bless our community is this Easter egg hunt every year. And it is a big event. We are planning on having hundreds and hundreds of kids come through this year. And so, as you can imagine, it's going to take more than a few people, a handful of people, to pull this off well. We actually need all of you to just kind of pitch in however you can. There's going to be a setup that happens on Saturday. We need uh, eggs and candy and all that kind of stuff. And so, if you could help us out with that, that would be really awesome. There's a little uh, piece of paper like this inside just to, to remind you to bring eggs and all that kind of stuff. There's some sign-ups out there in the commons about, I think there's about seven or eight different areas that we need help in. And so if you'd like to be a part of this, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting. It always is when we come together as a church family to serve our community. It's a lot of fun. But if you'd like to be a part of that, check out the, the sign-up boards out there in the commons and uh, see how you can, can do that. Sound good? All right. I'm going to ask JP if you would come and join me up here on the stage. This coming August, uh, we want to tell you about this awesome opportunity for you to be involved in a, a missions trip. A couple years ago, our church pulled together to, to uh, 
raise enough funds to drill a water well down in Central America. And this year we're going to be going back again. And this is JP. Everybody say hi, JP. And uh, JP is going to share a little bit about what's going on, where we're going, when we're going, why we're going, all that kind of stuff. So JP, that was a great hi JP, by the way. Wow. He's going to share a little bit. Hi. Um, I just want to bring out the idea for everybody to think about in the next few weeks of signing up for this opportunity to serve on a mission group, with a mission group um, in the country of Nicaragua. Um, we take for granted... Um, a lot of things that many people in the world pray for and hope for every single day. They're, they're praying that God will provide certain things to them that we have readily available. And one of those things <coughs> is clean, fresh, safe drinking water. You know, we here in the Pacific Northwest have an abundance of water. And, you know, we have a glacier um, just waiting on the other side of the county um, for the summer melt to come and provide water to our lakes. And we have uh, the Nooksack River and we have wells and you know, it's, it's something that we have to work for a little bit around here, but, you know, it's, it's something that we take for granted because most of the water we have is safe, and it's easy, and it's accessible. Well, that's not the case around most of the places in the world, or a lot of places in the world. Somewhere around 780 million people live without safe drinking water every day. Um, it's something that, that they struggle with. It, it causes sickness. Um, like 800 million people, or sorry, 800,000 people plus die every year because of unsafe drinking water. Um, it causes, you know, bacteria. Um, it causes simply diarrhea because of the unsafe drinking water kills hundreds of thousands of people every single year. And so Nicaragua is one of these countries that has that same sort of problem. Nicaragua does have a lot of water, but most of the water that they do have available is not clean and safe. Um, there's a lot of natural occurring arsenic in Nicaragua. Um, a lot of farmland is the water that they can access if, if it's available is um, polluted because of fertilizers and things like that. Well, the idea is for us to be able to go down to a community, provide a new well, a deeper well where, they can, where we can reach down to safe, clean water and provide life-changing generational change for a group of people that can now access clean drinking water. Without the clean drinking water, m mostly women and children have to travel, um, work hours every single week just to bring enough water to them if they have water available in their area. And then many times the water that they do require, they bring back to their homes, is polluted. And so the, the hours that they spend, the water that they do gather, makes them sick anyway. And so when we drill a new water, uh, new well for fresh water, it changes the way they live. It allows them to spend more time in their homes. Um, it makes them healthier so they're not missing school, they're not missing work. Um, it's, it's an amazing change for a simple thing that, like I said, we take for granted. I heard someone say, and I think it's a great explanation, that things that we take for granted, other people pray for every day. And for us to be able to be the actual answer to somebody's prayer is an amazing thing. Um, this morning, or right now, I can see about half of our mission group from 2015 sitting out there um, right now. And you can ask any one of those people, the idea that people right now on Sunday morning in this Christian country, because 90% of, of Nicaragua um, serves and worships in a Christian church, are praying for somebody to come down and help provide that need for them. 
and then to show up in a van and step out and see the joy on their faces because God has answered their prayer through you and through me and through others. It's an incredible feeling. So we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, you know. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the idea of sharing the abundance that we might have here that we live with and be a part of that um, is a great opportunity. Yeah, awesome. Such a great explanation. JP, what do you, you work with the city of Bellingham, and you do you work with the water department over there, right? Yeah, so um, for nearly 24 years, I've worked with the, for the city of Bellingham, and my job is to make clean drinking water. Um, I've worked in the plants division where we clean water um, for drinking water and for um, polluted water um, for the last 23 years. Yeah. And so it was a it was a poke in the back of the head by God um, a couple of years ago when this opportunity came up that I could help in a small way provide clean water for someone who doesn't have that opportunity. Yeah, it was an act of obedience, and it was it was an amazing blessing. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I think it's so cool to see how. Um, Here's JP, he's, he's, he, he works with water for a living, and so he understands water and, and glaciers. I mean, I'd never really put that together, that all the glacier stuff, but that's, that's <laughs> he gets it. He, get, he gets it, right? Like, he works with water all the time. But he's, 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 he has this passion for water, and I just love how JP has just taken that, and here now God's working through this, this uh, knowledge, understanding of how water works to go and just provide it to other countries. And so... I just think this is an awesome opportunity for you, for us as a church, to, to take how we've been blessed. That's such a good line. Things that we take for granted, people pray for every single day. Water. You know, who would think that there are people praying for water when we're praying, God, make it go away. But uh, <laughs> make it stop falling from the sky. But, uh, but here's this opportunity for us as a church. And uh, I would just encourage you to be praying about this. You know, if you're hearing this right now and you feel that little, like, nudge down inside, that could be a God saying, I want you to take a step further and just investigate and find out about this. And so if somebody is here going, I'm not really ready to commit yet, but I'd like to find out more, is it, what's the next step for people this morning? Well, just today, I'm going to make myself available out in the commons. So if you have any questions, um, please come and ask me. I'd love to talk about it. Um, secondly, if you just want a little bit of information, um, I'll swap emails with you, and I can send you out an email a message that has some links and some general information to it. Um, and uh, in the near future, we're going to set up an actual uh, group meeting, just a general information meeting. Again, people can come and start signing up. But, yeah, we're ready to go, and we're ready to sign up people. We are intending to put together a team of 12, and there's plenty of spaces left for that. Um, and we're ready for you if you're ready. Yeah, right on. So as you're praying about this, I mean, JP is going to be filling you, you on the details as time goes by here. But uh, just uh, like I say, every time we talk about mission stuff, make this something that is between you and God. Lord, is this something that you want me to do? And if you feel like this is something that God is saying for you to do, uh, take a step of faith and, and say yes. And let him take care of the details from that, that point on. But uh, JP, thank you so much for coming up here and sharing. Good, good stuff. Exciting. <laughs> All right, we, we're doing a sermon series right now called um, The Week That Changed Everything. It's kind of a gearing up towards Good Friday and, and uh, Palm Sunday and, and the Passion Week and the cross and the resurrection and everything that happened. We're kind of looking at the week that changed everything, the Passion Week, and just how 
really that week just shifted so many different things. And uh, this last, uh, actually about four or five weeks ago, I was walking through our, our uh, upstairs. We have our up- upstairs in our house. We have our little bonus room there, and we got the TV in there. And the kids were actually sitting in front of the TV watching a, a show. And uh, it's that time of year where there's all the, all the award shows are happening, right? Like the Oscars and the Grammys and all that kind of stuff. And they were watching an award show called the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards. Now, um, I'm not a huge fan of award shows, but I thought this one was pretty cool because they actually dumped green slime over celebrities throughout the whole entire thing. So I was like, hey, this is pretty awesome. So I kind of sat down with, it was the younger kids that were watching it, um, just for my older kids on the front row. Going, Dad, it was not us watching the show. But... <laughs> But anyways, uh, you won't believe what happened about halfway through. John Cena is hosting this show. You know John Cena, the big WWE professional wrestler dude? He told me that he loved me halfway through the show. And this is what happened. He looked at the camera and he said, I love you guys. And he actually said that over and over and over again. Now call me a cynic, but I don't actually think John Cena really loves me a whole, whole lot. Maybe he actually goes back home at night and he works through his little wrestling shtick to come up with ways to entertain the people that he really, really loves. Or maybe he writes his fan letters because he really loves his fans. But, but I don't really think that he, he, he loves me a whole, whole lot. When I hear that from him, or you probably heard that from TV celebrities from time to time, they look at the camera, they, they just talk all about how they love their fans so much. I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. Now, that was a really corny, cheesy illustration to make a point. Um, it's one thing to know someone's love for you. Uh, it, it's to know about someone's love for you. It's another thing to actually to, to experience it. It's one thing to, to hear them say something, but it's another thing to actually experience somebody's love for you. It's one thing to have a spouse say, I love you. It's a completely different thing to have that spouse stick with you year after year on into those, those latter years where maybe you are, are, are suffering through dementia or Alzheimer's and have them love you and care for you all through that. It's one thing to have a, a parent say, I love you, and a totally different thing to have them welcome you back into their arms after you've completely turned your back on them, abandon everything that they, they taught you, and, and yet have them still love you. Hearing someone say, I love you, and experiencing their love for you, you know this, they're two totally different things, totally different things. And before that week that changed everything happened, before Jesus showed up on the scene, people knew a lot about God, but they didn't really know a lot about God's love in particular. They knew a lot about God's strength. You know, they had seen God come along, and he he rolls back the Red Seas, these mighty waters, so they can walk through. He causes the walls of Jericho to come crumbling down. They knew about how God was just. They knew about how... The earth had become so evil and corrupt that they forced God's hand and he floods the earth. They knew God was holy. As the Israelites walked up to Mount Sinai after leaving leaving Egypt, they, they soon realized that this holy, totally pure God is there. In the mountain, the Bible has this picture of just like smoke billowing from the mountain because God is there. And they know that if they touch the mountain where this holy God is, they'll die. They're told that if they... They break the protocol and touch the Ark of the Covenant that they'll die. He's holy. They're not. They need to keep a distance from him. The people, they know that God's moral and that God is right. God gives them all these different commands that they're supposed to follow on just about everything. 
Don't take God's name in vain. Don't bear a grudge. Don't make false idols. Don't oppress the weak. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't practice magic. Don't eat bacon or ham and cheese sandwiches. If you're a man, don't shave the hair off the sides of your head. If you're an employee, don't eat while on the job. There are 613 of these commands that God gives to people. They get that he's moral, that he's right, or as we say in church, righteous. They knew about God's righteousness. They knew about his strength, his justice, his holiness, but they really didn't know about God's love. Yes, he loved them greatly. Yes, his love has never changed. Yes, when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt and, and, and made the way for them to become their own nation, he did all of that because he loved them. They even heard God say he loved them through different prophets and different messengers that God would send along. And, and they heard that all the time, but it was kind of like hearing a famous person through a TV screen saying, I love you. They're like, oh, God, that's, okay, that's, that's nice, whatever. He loves me. Yeah, whatever. Humanity never quite understood the depths of God's love, but that was all about to change during the week that changed everything. Any doubt, any confusion about God's love for them would be completely erased for, for all time when he laid down his life for us. The mystery of his love became this revealed in all of its splendor love that he has for us. It went from kind of being hidden behind the clouds to all of a sudden as Jesus is giving his life on the cross, it's like this brilliant sunshine on a spring day in the Pacific Northwest. It's almost blinding. God's love is, is revealed. The Bible says God's love has been has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It says, it says this, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then in another place, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And, and what I'd like to do this morning, in this hour that we're kind of gathered together, taking some time out of our week together, I want to just dive in with you and just dive deep into what God's love is really all about. Dive into just how deep, the, the depths of his, his love for us. And my hope and my prayer is that this morning wouldn't just be some kind of like intellectual exercise where you hear about God's love and where it just it stays stuck up here. But my prayer is that it would move from up here to be in this, this thing that you experience deep down in your heart where it, it, it's something that you feel, it's something that moves you, you experience God's love for you. Because it is one thing to hear someone say Jesus loves you, it is a completely different thing to know, to know that he loves you. And, and Paul, the apostle, he, he prayed this, and this is my prayer for us. He prayed, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's knowing God's love. It is having the roots of your life going down deep into his love. The foundations of your life established on, on this love. And this experiencing God's love is possible. Knowing God's love like this is Possible. And I just read that verse that, that proves it. The Bible says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It hasn't been poured out into our minds. The Bible says it's been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see what happens when you give your life to Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, this mind-boggling thing happens. The, 
God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and He changes you and does a lot of, but, lot of things like He comes and helps you to follow Jesus. But one of the, the amazing things that the Holy Spirit does inside of you is He pours out God's love into our hearts. He makes God's love known to us. And, and he, he, he stirs the, it down inside of us. It becomes our identity. His love becomes our motivation to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And so as you hear this this, this this morning, may God's love just be poured out into your heart. There's several ways that we see just how deep Christ's love is for us. And, and for starters, you see the depths of Christ's love and how much it cost him. And how much it cost him. You look at what he did and you go, okay, he paid a high, high price to demonstrate his love for me. He, he must love me a lot. There's a story that was told, um, it's been told over the years about these, uh, this group of, of American prisoners of war during the Second World War. And these men were made to do hard labor in, in the prison camp and each had a shovel and each day they would go out with their shovel and they would just... They would, they would dig and dig and dig and trenches and all these different kinds of things. But then at the end of the day, they'd come back, and they'd have to stand in this line. They, they would give an account of his tool in, in, the, in the evening. And one evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard, and the shovels were counted. And the guard counted 19 shovels, and then he turned in rage on the 20 prisoners, demanding to know which one didn't bring his shovel back. No one responded, and so the guard took out his gun and said he would begin to shoot the, the men if the guilty prisoner didn't step forward. Well, after a moment of, of just tense silence, this 19-year-old steps forward with his, his head down. The guard grabs him, takes him aside, shoots him, then looks at the rest of the guys and says, hey, you need to be a little more careful with your shovels. Well, the guard left, and as he left, the, the remaining guys began to pick up their shovels for the next day, and they noticed that there was actually... 20 shovels there. The guard had just counted wrong. And this 19-year-old this kid had given his life for his friends. Um, and it's a great picture of a, a just a, the, the price of this selfless act. Um, he gave up a future. This, this kid gave, gives up a future wife and family. He gives up um, uh, uh, a, new, a job one day, a career, you know, moments spent with family and friends. He gives it all up so that his fellow soldiers can live. And this is exactly the, what, what Christ did for us. The Bible says it like this. Greater love has no one than this, to, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus lays his life down. He surrenders his life. It's this costly, costly love that he has for you and for me. In the hundreds of years kind of leading up to Jesus showing up on the scene, people didn't have a, a picture of God's love as being costly. They didn't really have that understanding, but in Christ, it becomes just clear that this love of God for us, it runs very, very, very deep. It costs him dearly. If you just look at, at what it costs Jesus from the human side, side of things, the cost is staggering. He's only 33 years old when he gives his life on the cross. He gives up whatever future he could have had. He, he has a lot of life in front of him. He has a widowed mom that he's no longer going to be able to look after. He, he has lived the most successful life ever as far as doing what was right, doing what was good, and fulfilling his purpose. He lays that all down to give up his life. The Bible says Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He gave up everything, even his own life, for us. 
And then you look at the way in which he gave up his life, and it, it's the way, that, the, the way that he loved us, it's just it's staggering. You know, he didn't just endure some bumps and some scrapes and, and maybe some bruises. No, he endured the worst form of, of human torture ever devised in all of history because of his love for us. Someone once said this. They said, Christ's love is no timid meekness, no sentimental mildness, inoffensive and ineffectual, helpless in the face of the world's evil. Instead, no, it is a strong determination to seek others' highest good in all circumstances at any cost. That's a strong love, and that's the kind of love that Christ has for you and for me. You can also see the depths of Christ's love in, in how little we deserve it, and how little we deserve it. You know, it's one thing to love somebody who just, who just treats you amazing all the time, and they're just like super awesome to you, and buying you stuff, and they're super friendly, and they just... But it's another thing to give someone love and to show somebody love who just doesn't deserve it. I, uh, I've been married for almost 18 years, and it's no secret that I married way over my head in marrying Becky. And one of the things that I love the most about Becky is the way that she loves me when I don't deserve it. And I've done a lot of things that are worthy of her saying, okay, I'm throwing in the towel on this one, but she just keeps loving me regardless. And... Um, there's one time, it's kind of a, 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 one of those, those times that just kind of stands out in my, my mind, and it wasn't something elaborate in, in that she did to show her love. It was, just, it was something really simple, and it also stands out because it involved donuts, but um, <laughs> it, was, it was several years, ba- years back. We had kids in the home. They were all pretty young, and you know how it is if you have young kids, uh, babies, toddlers. We had, we had them all running around the house. And so there's lots of dirty diapers, lots of late nights, lots of screaming kids, all that kind of stuff. And so all of our nerves were pretty, we're, we're, our nerves were, nerves were frayed at that, that moment. If you've got young kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just kind of go around just like a nervous wreck kind of thing all the time. Well, we were there, and I was not really being the greatest of husbands at the moment. I, at the time, I just it was kind of leaving her to do all the work, and I was just doing my thing, and I was not picking up my end of the, the slack, and so... Um, but she had one day planned to go off to do some shopping with some friends for the day. It was a Saturday. It was my day off too, and so I was, I was kind of ticked that she was leaving me to do all this the solo parent by myself. She completely deserved to have this day off. Well, we got into a huge fight. I was being a selfish, spoiled little brat, and we're, we're having this argument. I said some hurtful things to her, some mean things. And treated her in a way that she did not deserve to be treated. Rather than be the husband that said, dear, I love you so much. I just want you to go. Spend as much money as you want. There's the credit card. Do whatever you got to do. I didn't do any of that stuff. And so she left. And I'm there kind of stewing all day. And kind of feeling bad one moment. Planning out the apology. Then the next moment kind of feeling justified for my, my foolish childlike behavior. I'm kind of going back and forth. And, and getting ready for that moment when she comes in the door and planning out how that's going to happen. And what I pictured happening is her coming in the door, giving me the cold, icy stare, just walking through the house, going to the bedroom, because it was going to be late at night, getting in bed, pulling the covers over, turning to the other side of the bed, while I just stayed on the other side in ice, cold silence to go to sleep. What I didn't expect is for her to come walking in the front door with a box of donuts, and to look me in the eye and sincerely ask me, hey, Rich, how did your day go? And just be completely calm 
and, and, and in that moment, if you've ever had that moment, all you can kind of do is just go, huh, <laughs> I'm an idiot kind of thing. It's been said that, that the love that moves us the most is when we've wronged someone and they in return authentically love us anyway. When we've wronged somebody and they just authentically, sincerely love us anyway. And if you've ever had this, maybe it was something small you did or maybe you did something huge but somebody loved you anyway, you know how moving that is, how humbling that is, how how transformative that is in your life. And, and I don't know if you know this, but we've committed some pretty big wrongs against God. Our sin actually amounts to no less than the greatest betrayal. And last week we talked a little bit about how our, our sin, that sometimes we don't really understand just what it's all about and what it, how it affects God. But it, it, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like God has prepared this elaborate feast for us with just all the most incredible food and he's get, he's he's prepared life and life to the full, but it's like this elaborate feast, and he's invited us, and we say, no thanks, God, I'd rather eat dirt. Thank you very much. That's kind of what it's like. We don't deserve God's love, and yet he loves us anyway, only he doesn't just give us some, some undeserved donuts. What he does is he actually lays down his life. He, he gives himself, and when you begin to understand this, you just go, God, how amazing is your love for us? The Apostle Paul, he understood this. He was a guy that just spent his life killing Christians, murdering Christians. He would go after them. He would round them up, and then, then he would imprison them. And yet God finds him on this road one day and just, and just meets Paul there in all of his love and all of his grace, and he changes Paul. He, just, he lavishes his love on Paul in a way that Paul didn't deserve. And Paul would spend the rest of his days just in awe and in wonder, dumbfounded that God would love him the way that, that God does. And one time, Paul, he wrote these words. He said this. He said, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And imagine Paul just sitting there just going, wow, that he would he'd die for me. You understand the depths of somebody's love for you when you understand, okay, Christ, he wasn't obligated to love me the way that he, he did, but he, he, he loves me anyways. It's a deep, deep, deep love. You can also see the depths of Christ's love and the freedom with which he loves us. The freedom with which he loves us. Nobody's up there in heaven twisting his arms saying, hey, you need to go down there and you, you have to go down there and, and, and die for the sins of the world. You, you have to do that. He, Jesus wasn't thinking, oh, man, these people, I don't really want to lay down my life for them, but if this is the only way, if, if I have to do this, if this is the only way to save these people, then, then I guess I'll go down there and fulfill this big, grand, cosmic scheme, uh, whatever's going, I'll do it. I, I do it. That's not what's happening here at all. Instead, listen to what, what Jesus says. He, he's got this, this he, he loves with, a, uh, there's this freedom with which he loves. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. But he says, I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus, he really, really, really wanted to save us. He wanted to. He knew the cost. He knew the price. He knew the pain that he would have to endure. He knew all that stuff. And yet he really wanted to save us. He was like that, that prince from the, the movies who's, whose bride gets taken captive and put in the dragon's lair. And the prince isn't standing back here going, oh, man, maybe I should go rescue her. No, he loves her so much that he's going, I'll, I'll pray whatever price. I will storm the palace. I will storm the dragon's lair. I'll, I, I'll risk life and limb to save that, 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 that bride that I love. That's Christ. That's exactly what he's doing. He, he, he loves with this joy. It shows the depth of his love for us. You can also see the depths of, of Christ's love in, in how great the benefits are for us being loved. You know, if you come up to me after the service today and you encourage me by saying, hey, Rich, man, you just did an awesome job this morning. Rich, you just knocked it out of the ballpark. I'm going to feel some love, okay? I will feel some love in that moment. If you go in and take me and Becky out to the steakhouse for dinner, <laughs> guess what? I'm going to feel the love on just a, a whole different level. Now, if this summer you see me swimming at, at Lake Wacom or maybe jumping off the falls or something, and you see me drowning down there, and you're like, that's Rich. I love Rich. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to pull him out. I'm going to rescue him. I might possibly lose my own life. Guess what? I'm going to be feeling the love on a whole different level. If you come along and and, and you save me from eternal separation from God, the life-giving presence of God, I'm going to know your love on a whole different level. If you go a step further and not only save me, but then that you make me a child of God himself, guess what? I'm going I'm to spend my, my, the rest of my days talking about how great your love is for me. And isn't this exactly what Jesus has done for us? The Bible says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. There's a word for you. He has lavished, lavished, I just like saying it, lavished, lavished his love on us. How great the Father, the, the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You know, there's a reason why when, when John wrote those two statements, he slaps an exclamation point on the end. It's because he's just amazed at, at the fact that, that Christ not only has died for us, lavished his love on us to that extent, but he even goes further. You know, it's like God, what he's done for us is like he sees us drowning in that ocean, and he goes out there, and he pulls us up, and he puts us on shore. And, and, and rather than just leave us standing there, like, okay, I rescued you, I love you, I got to get going on my way. He, 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 instead of just leaving us there rescued, he takes it to the next level and he invites us in to his family and he makes us his own children, heirs of his, of his kingdom. It, it's amazing what, what God has done here. It's incredible. He, he, he sacrifices himself for us. He's got this sacrificial love, but he just takes it to this, this ex extreme, if you could say that. And if that's not enough, the Bible goes on to say that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He says, not only am I, I going to rescue you from death, 
not only am I, I going to make you my, my own son and daughter, I'm also going to, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to come and live inside of you. I'm, I'm going to cause the fruit of love and joy and peace. It's going to, it's going to become a part of who you are. I'm going to satisfy you as with the richest of foods. You're going to have me with you all the time. I'm going to take great delight in you. This is what he does for you and for me. It is absolutely amazing. But this is the depths of God's love for you and for me. And then lastly this morning, you can see the depths of Christ's love in how unstoppable it is. And how unstoppable it is. Now, just for a second, just think with me. I, I think most of us in this room could probably think to a, back to a time where we saw somebody's love in a way, we, we saw how, how stoppable it could be. We've all experienced stoppable love at one point in our lives. Maybe it was you got married and, and you, it was just like the fires were hot. There was just this love for one another. But then as the years went on and bills and children and mortgages and all that kind of stuff, the love just kind of grew, grew cold. Maybe for somebody else, it was a, uh, one of your children. When they're, they're young, they just could not get enough of dad and mom. But then as the years grow, go on and they leave the home and they just go off and they do their own thing, it's like all, all of a sudden, where'd they go? It's like it, it almost seems like the love is, is stoppable. Or maybe for somebody else, it's your best friend in high school. They go away to college and then and, then, and stuff happens. They get so wrapped up in their career and, and maybe stuff is set between you and there just becomes this wedge and it's like the love is gone. I think we've all experienced stoppable love, but what is rare to experience is unstoppable love, where there's nothing that can stop the other person's love um, from getting to you. It's, it, their love is so strong, it's so enduring that nothing can get in the way. And before Jesus shows up on the scene, you know, it might have appeared to people that God's love was stoppable. Maybe they, they had those years where, you know, if you read the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament part of the Bible, and they, they go through all these years where they're, they're ruled by one evil king after another evil king, and, and maybe they're going, okay, where's God in all this? Or maybe between the Old Testament and the New Testament, those silent years in there, they're going, okay, God, it, it looks like God's love is a stoppable kind of love. They're going, it's, it's like he's, he's gone. They didn't really understand God's love in these terms of, of being unstoppable. But then what happens is Jesus shows up on the scene. And that would forever change the notion that God's love could be stopped. That God's love could grow cold. And if you look at the Passion Week, you see how he had every reason. Jesus had every reason to stop loving people. I mean, the, the, the guys that he had invested his life and he poured his life into these 12 disciples, all of them abandoned him. Peter, he takes it to a, a different extreme. He denies Jesus three times. Judas just outright betrays him, plants a kiss on his face. And then you've got these soldiers, the soldiers that, that, that God formed in their mother's wombs, nailing Jesus to the cross, and yet he loves them anyway. And then you get to the point where Jesus, he dies on the cross, and they put him in the tomb. Now, if there's anything that would, you'd look at and go, okay, that's going to stop somebody, someone's love for somebody else, you go, okay, death is going to be what stops that, but not with Jesus. His love is so unstoppable that he comes back from the dead 
and, and in all of his glory, he comes back to life, and his love just keeps radiating. He keeps lavishing his love on us. It's why Paul, in the book of Romans, wrote these words. He says, I am convinced. I'm convinced. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love for you is an unstoppable, unstoppable love. And I got to ask this morning, are you like Paul this morning? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Jesus wants you to be convinced of this. So convinced of this that his love for you becomes the motivation for everything that you do in life. His love for you becomes the identity that you, you base your life off of. You go, okay, more than anything else, I am a loved child of God. Nobody has loved you even close to as much as Jesus has loved you. Nobody. And the question for us today is, is not, does Jesus love me? Now, maybe somebody here is going, this is great, Rich, that you're talking about Jesus loving me, but really seriously, Rich, if you, if you knew me, if you knew some, some of the thoughts that I think, if you knew some of the, the hatred that I've had in the past towards God, if you knew some of the things that I've done myself, if you, if you, if you knew, Rich, you, there's no way you'd be say, saying that Jesus loves me. In light of everything that we've just talked about, in light of what Jesus has done, the question is not, does Jesus love you? The question is simply this, how am I going to respond to Jesus' love? How will I respond? Will I receive it or will I refuse it? Will I let him pour it out in my heart? Will I just go on living as if his love for me wasn't really that big of a deal? That's the question. How am I going to respond to this great love that he has for me? And to receive his love, what does that look like, Rich, to receive his love? Like, how, how, do, how do I do it? To receive his love is to let your life be rooted and established in his love for you. The opposite, the opposite of that as a Christian would be to become rooted and established in the Christian religion. That's a lot different than living a life that is rooted and established in the love that Christ has for you. But, but, but get this, a lot of Christians are actually more rooted over here in, in a life of duty, in a life of service, in a life of joyless religion. Jesus is actually calling you to something different. If that's what you've got your, your life rooted in, if you've got a lot of church and not a lot of Jesus, I feel for you because you are missing out. Jesus is inviting you today to take your life and root it in his love for you. To keep him central in your life. To, to, to stay dependent on him. To keep your life wrapped up in who he is. To stay abiding in him as, as the, 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 the ever-flowing spring of life in your life. He's inviting you to that today. He's inviting you to something far more than just being rooted and established in religion. He is inviting you to be convinced and to know his love on a whole different level. And uh, he's inviting you to let your life be built on his love. And then next, he's inviting you this morning to let, your, let his love 
saturate you and change you and affect the way that you live. Jesus said it like this. He said, this is my commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's what he's asking us to do, is to love one another as he's loved us, to love the world outside of these walls the way that he has loved us, to love people with a love that's costly, a love that's going to, there's going to be a, a price. We might have to suffer some to love people in the way that he's asking us to love, to love others who maybe don't deserve it. Maybe that son or daughter who has betrayed you, maybe that parent who's walked away from you, maybe, he, maybe that coworker, that neighbor that just drives you crazy. He's inviting us, calling us to love like he does. This extravagant love. And, and where, where are you at this morning? Are you, are you saying yes to that? You're saying, yes, Lord, I want to have my life rooted and established in your love? Or not? Are you saying, Jesus, I want to I love like you do? And as you go, Jesus, I want to love like you do. God, I want to have my life saturated in your love, built and established on your love. He, he will come in, and, and, and I believe God's word. When God's word says that his Holy Spirit will pour out his love in our hearts, I believe he's going to do it. I believe he'll do it. And this morning, if, if you're going, yeah, I want to have, I want to experience that love like you're talking about. Rich, I've just gone through my Christian life. Uh, it's been all about this stuff over here. I've never really experienced and tasted God's love like you're talking about this morning. You, you can have that. It is possible. If you're here this morning and you um, have made ne never put your faith and trust in Jesus, Today could be the day you just let God pour his love out in your life on a whole different level. It's as simple as putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But if you're here this morning, you go, I want to I wanna know that. I, wanna, I would just invite you to pray this prayer, not only this morning, but I would invite you to pray this prayer this week. It's written in the back of your, your sermon notes this morning. And the prayer is simply this. Jesus, I don't want to just know about your love. I don't just want it to be this head thing. I want to experience it, to have it poured out in my heart. Help me know your love and to freely receive it. Then help me to live my life rooted and established in this great, unstoppable love you have for me. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I just would uh, this morning, God, ask that you would, you would make this a reality in our lives. That Father, our lives would be rooted and established in your love. Rooted and established in your love. I pray that, Father, we would be convinced. God, like, like Paul who wrote those words, he's convinced that nothing can separate us from, from your love. I pray, Father, that, Lord, we would be convinced. And, Lord, I know that, that Father, this morning there are men and women, students in this room this morning, that, God, maybe they're not convinced. Maybe this last week, this last month, this last year, whatever, God, they've just, they have messed up, they have failed, God, they've made mistake after mistake, and now all of a sudden they're here this morning and they're just, they, they're, they're questioning. They're going, oh, there's something, God can't love me like, like he used to. God, I pray that, that, Lord, they be able to walk out of this room this morning convinced that, God, nothing, not even death itself can separate us from your love. 
And Lord, I pray also that you would teach us what it means, Lord, to live our lives, God, wrapped around you, Jesus, and wrapped around this love that you have for us. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would live, God, firmly, God, just keeping our identity, Father, rooted in our, our, just, just who we are as sons and daughters of the King of Kings who loves us so much that he gave his life for us. God, if we can get there, God, if we could get there, that would be huge. So, God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to grasp. Help us to grasp, to have the power and the, gra- the, the, the strength to grasp how great your love is for us. And then, God, may we just be a people that lives our lives. God, just letting your love pour out. God, where we love others the same way that you love us. And, God, we need your strength to do that. Lord, we need your help. But God, I pray that we would do that, not just on an individual level, but God, as a church, may we be that church that just loves others with an extravagant, lavishing kind of love, I pray. Ask all this in your good name, Jesus. Amen. 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 We're going to, in a second, just sing this song called The King of My Heart. And uh, as we sing this song, I just encourage you to make this your prayer this morning, if 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 you've drifted away from God's love for you, you know, maybe your faith has just become all about you're just working really hard because you feel like you have to earn this love. You know, make this your prayer this morning. Jesus, be the king of my heart. Jesus, I, your love for me is great. And God, I want to wrap my life around that. And uh, make this your prayer. Amen. God bless.